Hi, and welcome to Data Futurology, the podcast where we hear the stories of data science leaders working in the field today, and they tell us their journeys, their mistakes, their lessons learned, so you can benefit from their experience in your career. My name is Felipe Flores. I am your host. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that you're having an excellent, excellent week. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Brulent Kiziltan. Brulent is based in Cambridge, Massachusetts in the US. He is an extremely accomplished data science leader. He will tell us a bit about his journey, but he started as an astrophysicist from the University of California. He then went on to Harvard University where he was teaching and then became head teaching fellow for data science at Harvard. He's worked with NASA. He's worked at the Harvard Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. He's worked at MIT. He started an international consortium for science and technology doing industry research and development in data science. He's been head of deep learning at a large healthcare company. And now he's working on his own startup, which is currently in stealth mode. But obviously, as you can see, he is an extremely, extremely accomplished data science leader. He's thought a lot about what good leadership in data science looks like, how that differs from startups to large corporations, does a lot of work and advising in that space. I hope you enjoy the episode. If you do, please share it with a friend. I'll be forever grateful. Thank you so much. Here is the episode with Bulent. Hi, this is Felipe. Today I'm speaking with Bulent. Bulent, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing? Thank you. It's a pleasure, Felipe. How are you? Very, very good. Very excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much. At the beginning, I always like to ask the guests about their background, their professional background, their journey. How does that look like for you? I have been trained as a physicist, astronomer. I have been an astrophysicist at Harvard and uh, spent some time at MIT as well. Worked for institutes that belong to NASA for a while. So I've been in the space technology, astronomy slash physics space for most of my career. And during that journey, I was very uh, intimately interested in extracting information from complicated data sets, which is essentially what we do in astronomy. And then based on the domain knowledge that we have, we like to uh, see what type of science we can extract from that information. Early in my career during grad school, I worked with pioneer statisticians that were applied statisticians. They did Bayesian statistics. And during my time at the Space Telescope Science Institute in Baltimore, I uh, worked what is essentially what's a, a data scientist today. So I was working intimately with data, extracting information, making that process a pipeline and working very closely with Hubble Space Telescope science data, and then uh, kind of optimizing the engineering process that is primarily data-driven. Later on, during my time at Harvard, I was very lucky to get involved with machine learning, some of the pioneers of the field, and worked closely with them to implement some of the technologies and methods that they have developed in that space, particularly deep learning into astronomy. And through that interaction, we've had several breakthroughs that we've published in prestigious science journals such as Nature. And as that interest was moving forward, I also had initiated a consortium that operated in between academia, industry, and government. And that initiative had grown to a considerable number of scientists and engineers. And we got funding from some government agencies and foundations as well. And 
industry mindset was very different. Government operated somewhere in between, but that moving quickly aspect of the industry where you can apply your expertise in multiple domains. And AI is one of the few domains that I would consider in terms of methodology is domain agnostic. And then once you partner with domain experts, you can make a real impact in a very short time. It attracted me even further and I uh, made a transition to the industry. Since then, I uh, worked very closely with healthcare companies, finance in the finance domain, as well as some other uh, space technology, satellite technology type of companies that developed this, that sort of technology. And I have been advising um, Fortune 500 companies as well as startups on the executive side on how to build a data science strategy, how to build a team, how to make the maximum business impact in a short time while you build a strategy that will sustain the value that AI is delivering in the midterm and long term. I think that those are very critical questions. And also in the startup space, how one can uh, find the uh, right leader for the job. And I always say there's no one answer to those questions. And depending on the uh, business objectives, the timelines, the resources, the talent pool that they have access to, the strategy has to be customized. So if somebody is talking about a single strategy that will maximize your business impact, it's more likely that approach will not work for you. That is very true. I agree. That's excellent. So I definitely have heaps of questions for you around that. Before we jump into it, though, I wanted to ask you, after being formally trained as an astrophysicist and doing so much work that was data science, but before coming into, I guess, the data science field, because you were doing it under the astrophysicist field, were you surprised at how relevant those skills were and how transferable they were into the business world? How was that that transition for you? Yes and no. I had been interacting with the industry and with uh, government agencies for a very long time since before my graduate school years. So I was intimately aware that the basic processes and procedures that you can use to extract information from data are very similar. But the culture, I think, is primary difference uh, and hurdle while making that transition. There are also challenges on the business side. Uh, the, the people who have been in the industry for so long, typically they are hesitant to work with people who have been in academia and in the field of astronomy or biostatistics or some other fields, uh, thinking that in their own operations, they need a veteran that has been in the industry for 15 years. I sometimes see a job description and minimum requirement, which says a 15 years industry experience, 15 or 10 years data science experience. I'll be very honest. I think that's an oxymoron that doesn't exist. You cannot have a person that has been in the industry for 15 years and have a legitimate data science experience for 10 years that AI, data science or machine learning is intimately linked to academia culturally and from the perspective of know-how. So people who have really the expertise in data science should have a link or some type of semi-academic background. And I don't mean that everybody has to have a PhD, but if you have been in the industry for 15 years and if you have an MBA coming from a different background, not engineering essentially, I don't think that you would be considered a kind of a person who has some sort of data science expertise. You might be fluent with the jargon. You might 
have an understanding of the graphs. But in order for a leader to come up with a strategy that will not only deliver the short term, but will deliver a strategy and they, he can execute in the midterm and long term, I think some sort of legitimate data science background or quantitative background is necessary. So I was surprised by that particular aspect and culture-wise, the mindset of the business leaders. And from my perspective, there were a few surprises, certainly. There is a resistance on their part to change their decision-making process. And from my perspective, there, there was some cultural aspects that took time to get used to. Of course, and I love your point from before where you said that the data science leaders do need that, that technical understanding, that technical background. Why do you think that that is? Why is that the case? Let's start with the internal dynamics. Let's say you're a leader, right? You uh, want to drive the decisions and you want to have informative interaction with your team members. And uh, typically in, in data science operations, let's say you have one or two PhDs that are driving a formal technical progress within the team. And when you have an interaction with that person, you want to have an informative interaction with that person. If you are an executive leader, if you're making decisions, and it's, let's assume that you're an average leader. I mean, we have leaders that are very good listeners. They uh, really listen uh, hard to what the uh, technical leaders are telling them. But this is, in practice, not always the case. So if you uh, have hard time understanding the ins and outs of different models, and you cannot really have that discussion with that technical leader, it will create an, uh, an environment that doesn't necessarily make the technical team very happy. So from a retention perspective, it will create a problem in the future. We've seen this over and over. And you know, when I say we've seen it, I, I mean, I have been working very closely with tens of Fortune 500 companies. And what we've seen is retention is a big cost. And once you hire the right talent, assuming that you have the right talent, making sure that they're happy and they like what they do, they have a meaningful interaction with the leadership is critically important in, in retention. Just even from that perspective, having a leader that can have that conversation, that can command respect within its team, within his team or her team, is, I think, important uh, that companies moving forward. And the second part is you want to have a leader that has uh, his hand or her hand in the latest of data science or machine learning. So it, it requires that person to really read some papers, at least read some uh, technical reports and have a above average understanding in order to draw some conclusions and advise the C-suit or the leadership of that company so that the company can build a strategy that can continue to produce the value, the business impact that AI has been presumably producing for them. And unless you have a person that has that vision, that has network within the academic circles or the R&D circles that are producing that wave of AI information, it is really impossible to just look at the popular magazines or some websites and, you know, the general trends and, you know, and creating business strategy based on what's already popular. So what has been already popular means that this is already beyond the AI wave. And if you want to surf the AI wave, you have to really look forward. And in order for a leader to look forward, that person really has to have a network a kind of intellectual relationship to where that know-how is being produced. And I don't see uh, that happening for a person who has been in the industry for 10, 15 years and basically is uh, really busy with uh, managing a large team and writing reports and uh, preparing PowerPoint presentations. I completely agree. <laughs> I love the way that you describe it. I think it's spot on. 
I'll ask you about perspectives from the other side. And by other side, I mean the organization. What are the trade-offs that the organization would be making in their decision when appointing a leader of data science? The reason why I ask you that is because a lot of times when I've seen people get into, into leadership positions that they don't come from a technical background or that they don't have a strong academic background, sometimes yeah. the organization feels like they can speak business, they can speak the language of business, or they can get things done quickly. Or, yeah. and as you said, like those people might come in with the jargon and they might read a blog post of what's being done elsewhere. And then suddenly that becomes the strategy that they're implementing in their organization. What do you see as the trade-offs that the organization is making yeah. during that decision when appointing that leader? When I gave my previous perspective, when I shared it with you, I by no means mean that a person fresh out of academia would make a great business leader. There is so much that academics should learn. I'm, I'm talking about an average a person coming out of academia. There's, there's so much that we, can, we should learn in terms of leadership, soft skills, stakeholder dynamics. The business mindset is somewhat different. So one requires... I don't mean an exceptional or I don't want to use the overused word unicorn, but you have to look at what your business priorities are, what type of resources you have, and how quickly you want to deliver. What we hear very often is that when the companies charted into this territory of AI and analytics, many of the operations have failed and it created a justified skepticism in business that AI or analytics is overhyped. There is truth to that, but the reason why analytics, AI, or data science has failed in the early implementations is, in my opinion, and in my experience uh, out of that relationship that I had over many years with bigger companies, Fortune 500 and startups, is the uh, wrong choice in leadership. They obviously had very limited resources. The number of people that they could reach out to were very limited, and they basically appointed people who have been executives in business for a very long time, and they thought, you know, this is like any other vertical. So why don't you lead the data science operations? And for them, data science meant looking into an Excel sheet and try to optimize one of the columns that they see in front of them. And if you approach AI data science in that limited fashion, I don't mean to belittle that approach. I mean, those things are very relevant. I mean, the majority of uh, the analytics work that we see in the industry is very similar to just what I mentioned. But if you limit yourself to that perspective, you will go after inherently after the low-hanging fruit, and you'll miss on building a strategy that will build resilience internally for the midterm and long-term, and that they will fail. They are destined to fail. And also uh, building a culture that is conducive to uh, data science operations requires some meticulous work as well. You cannot just think of a regular hierarchical company, hire top-end data scientists, and expect them to be happy in the long-term in that type of operation. It's, it, we've seen it, it. It doesn't work. The whole journey of digital transformation is not complete without a cultural transformation. And uh, this is very particular for AI and data science, but I think right now it's affecting overall the company cultures in many big companies, and definitely this is the case with smaller companies. So from their perspective, I totally understand why they didn't essentially at first go after academics, unless you are Facebook or you're Google, you can afford to uh, have an R&D arm that you know burns 90% of their projects, but there is something coming out of 10% of the projects. Many companies cannot afford that. So they went after the people who have been in the business for very long. But right now we are 
at a time where we have a unique individuals that have a very strong, reputable academic roots. They are known in that world. They have a credible background. They can call themselves analytic experts. I don't mean a superstar, but at least they can talk to you about the p-value, what that means, and ins and outs, and you know, not only talk about regular statistics, but can really dive deep into information theory and some other uh, deep aspects of uh, the foundations of data science. But also, those there are as few as they are, there are people. With that sort of background, who have spent considerable time and accumulated business experience over time and have the soft skills that is required to uh, transform a culture. So the typical data science leader or analytics leaders until now, they have been considered a kind of a cross-section between business experience and domain expertise and some understanding of data science. I'm adding a, a fourth dimension to that. Data science leader has to be a person that can transform cultures. Unless you have a culture builder and that is required of that real leadership, I think you'll have just an analytics manager, but not a leader. There is a very distinct difference between a manager and leader in this context. So you want to have a person that can slowly transform that culture internally, make it more so that there is kind of a cultural relationship to either academic institutions or the academic progress that's been made in that context and transfer that know-how internally. But also when you're tapping into the talent pool that are really good data scientists, all of them have one way or the other have been in an academic setting. And those people are typically used to coming up with creative ideas. And if you overwork those people 150% and there is no room for them to invest into their continual training and they cannot really come up with creative ideas and it's very difficult to move forward. On the business side, again, when they are hiring not only leaders but data scientists based on their skill set, I think that's also the wrong route to take. I mean, skill sets can become obsolete in five to six months. Even at the uh, mid-level data science, including the leadership, what is really important, and in my opinion, more important than the skill set is the aspect that the person is a continual learner and a curious person. In the world of data science, things are changing on a weekly basis. I mean, what is relevant yesterday might be very different, maybe irrelevant today. The leadership, the culture, and the individuals have to be quick learners, very agile, and uh, they have to... Uh, keep that curiosity going forward. And how do you do that in an environment where you work eight to nine hours a day and that's in an optimistic situation and you have hardly any time to invest into yourself, into your training? That's, I think, a disaster that will happen. That's a disaster, a kind of a bomb in the making. So those type of operations we've seen over and over fail, maybe not in the short term, but definitely midterm and long term. And the reason why they don't fail right away is, is because there are so many low-hanging fruit that the managers, I would call them, that are taking over that operations, they can deliver numbers in the short term because data science has so much to offer, but optimization or automation is not equal to data science, is uh, two of the things that data science can do really well, but there's so much that data science has to offer for a company's operation. That is very true. So just continuing that line of thought, besides the optimization and automation, what are some of the other things that, that you see that data science can give organizations? 
Well, I mean, internal agility, it can help. The recruiters, I think recruitment is an area that we more often than not, not addressing because with the standard approach to CV scanning, I would consider the majority of the real talent is being filtered out. If you go after Mm. keywords, if you go for uh, regular resumes that have been coming within the industry, you'll miss out on the real talent. And for that, in order to really tap into the talent that you want to go after, continual training of the HR person on recruiters is really important. But also, uh, you can use some data science tools to uh, help them out. And I've seen in some companies where they have come up with smart tools to help them out for that transition. Uh, that's, That's one area. Another area is internal automation. Obviously, we've talked about that. But data science is very powerful in extracting information. I know that many companies are not interested in causal connections. They are looking in correlations. But right now, we have come to a point where even causal relationships can be deduced from data. And that requires the data science operations to partner closely with domain experts, but also a kind of a diverse team can bring in the know-how and become creative with data science. I will give you one example. Predicting flu, how that disease propagates within continental U.S. or anywhere else is one of the most critical questions in the healthcare space at large. I mean, you want to predict early in the season how a flu will propagate within a landmass and uh, for each uh, particular zip code or state when the flu season will peak is, is critically important. And this has been done with various approaches. Some of them is public information, some of them is not. But my team has create an approach in which we use some uh, physics modeling and some uh, atomic modeling that we used in astrophysics for, for many decades. It's called the diffusion equation. And what that means is what we have done for many decades and understood well within the domain of physics and astrophysics is we have a fairly good understanding how molecules and atoms uh, behave and how they propagate information and certain dynamical features. And what we thought is within the context of flu, what happens if we were to think of people like individual molecules or atoms that are interact with each other? And flu, as we know it, is propagating by uh, proximity. So you have to either touch another person or you have to touch the same thing, so share the same proximity with a person. So can you build a model where you use that information, make that approximation about population dynamics, and implement some other publicly available information In addition to the proprietary data you have, can you increase the predictive power of your models? And the answer to that is exactly yes. So you can do so much more when you create a diverse background with uh, creative ideas and public data together. I think that there's a lot of business value that can be delivered. But in addition to the business value, you can also save uh, hundreds of lives, which we've seen with that sort of modeling, where you can really touch people's lives individually, especially the more vulnerable ones, the elderly and the children that are very vulnerable to flu. There is meaningful impact that can be made with data science. Yes, definitely. What I've seen, and obviously tell me if you agree or if you've seen differently, but what I've seen is that a lot of people coming into data science, now that there's obviously so much demand, people are coming from from different backgrounds. A lot of them are doing online courses. They're learning about machine learning, but particularly on the study of correlations. 
as you were saying. So they're able to identify correlations very well and use those for business. But what I've, yeah. at least what, what I've seen is that the causal inference and the causal studies generally come from different backgrounds that at least no, it's academic. in Australia, yeah. it's definitely, yeah, academic. And I've seen um, people like uh, from econometrics being quite good at that type of study and obviously in astrophysics also good. That's why I was, I was wondering whether there was other academic backgrounds that had a strong yeah. component. Of so let, let me elaborate a little on the uh, causal I- uh, inference then. What you potentially are referring to is not exactly potentially what I'm referring to. So until very recently, groups, data scientists that have been presumably addressing causal relationship in addition to correlations use domain expertise to make those judgments. So right now it's a very niche academic research based on actually two or three individuals that have math backgrounds or engineering backgrounds in the academic circles only that have been spending many years on how numerically one can go after causal inference. And I don't think I have yet to see an industry application for that research because it's still in the uh, stage where academics are writing theoretical papers on it. So that's the causal inference part that I'm referring to. Whereas potentially you, when you're referring to people coming from econometrics, they're looking for causal inferences. I don't think that they're using any of that methodology that I am trying to refer to. But still, obviously, there are many groups, many data scientists that are trying to address that exact question, whether what they see is causally related or is just a correlation. And you can make certain assessments based on the domain expertise you have, but you cannot make an assessment just based on data only. Until now, I've mm. is, again, I've, I'm yet to see a data science group in the industry who has the capability of doing so. But we're at the verge where methodologies are being developed as we speak that can do that even though you may not have the relevant domain expertise. Just looking at the data, you may be able to tell in the near future whether what the pattern you see is based on a causal relationship or whether it's just a correlation. Yes, that would be great. I wanted to ask you a bit more about the culture side. And so you, you described to us the culture that should be created in, in data science teams where people should have the time to be learning and staying up to date and coming up with yeah. creative ideas. Do you have any recommendations around processes or continual maybe ceremonies or things like that that people can implement in their teams when I say on a weekly or monthly basis? What are some of the things that they can do to start to create this? culture? Well, one thing I have to be uh, crystal clear, that culture is not only one single culture. It will depend on the culture you already have, the size of the company, the priorities of the company. So when I say I, I don't mean you have to bring in an academic culture into your business operations. I mean, that's just overly optimistic and uh, it won't work. But what you want to do, in, in a, especially in a bit bigger business environment, is assuming that you have some of the resources to invest into the uh, midterm development of your individual team members and you don't have a pressing deadline tomorrow, you want to make sure that especially people who are interested in the data science group is to keep up to date with uh, literature or with some of the new technologies that are coming out every day. So uh, what we've done in the past is we had journal clubs, we had discussion groups, we were asking individual members of the data science group to come up with their own ideas that can be implemented into the day-to-day business operations. And we've chosen one, two, or three of the best ideas into our business operations. And what we've seen in return is we've created interesting business outcomes 
outcomes out of those ideas that were not in our, on our horizon. We didn't have those ideas. So uh, having individual members, as junior as they are, and you know, let me tell you, some of the in- most interesting ideas comes from the most junior people that are coming from a very different background. So this is why, one of the reasons why a diverse team is critically important, not only for culture's sake, but from a business perspective, it's really justifiable, if not necessary, to have a diverse team. So having individuals make presentations on their crazy ideas and then come up with uh, one or two of them and implement them into your operations uh, is some risk-taking. But if you diversify that risk, I think there's a lot of value in that sort of an approach to managing data science teams. Very true. And in your work with um, large companies like the Fortune 500 and then with startups, what are the differences that you see in the implementation of these types of ideas between the two groups? And what, what sort of things should they Yeah, could you tell us a bit more about that? Sure. Typically, larger companies, they have their resources that they can use to buffer any sort of risk that they have in their operations. Whereas in startups, you want to make that impact yesterday. So when you are in a startup environment, the type of talent you are hiring, both for the individual members and leadership, can be and probably should be very different as opposed to the uh, talent pool that you are trying to tap into in a bigger enterprise. And that will really depend on the leadership, the culture that they already have. And I particularly am focused on the bigger companies now. If you have the vision and if you're empowered by the senior leadership, I think you have more of a leeway to take some more risk and invest for the midterm and long term rather than just go after the low-hanging fruit. But by doing so, you have to continue to justify your existence to the investors of your company. So you cannot just say, you know, I'm trying to build a team that has this vision for midterm and long term. It doesn't work that way in the industry. So you have to be also vigilant and smart about what you're delivering today in order to justify your existence tomorrow. That's right. And within that, what are some considerations that leaders should have when choosing what to focus on and what to focus on in the early days versus sort of one or two years after the team has been established? Are there, I'm asking, I've definitely faced this challenge in the past where when I was building what ended up being a about a 50% team in a large organization. I remember that at the beginning, in the at least in the division, there was no concept of data science and what it could do. And mm-hmm. one of the challenges then is, what do you do first in order to prove the value so then you can get more resources, mm-hmm. but also start to build a more strategic plans that will, that will give you benefits in the medium and long term? In your opinion, what are some things to consider when balancing those things? Yeah, that's a tough one to answer because it will change case by case. Again, the business objectives, the operational priorities, what are they and where is the company at that current stage and time? What type of pressures are you encountering from the board or whoever you're interacting with? But typically, you know, in all companies, irrespective of the size, there are operational bottlenecks one can optimize directly and show value in the very short term. And those are the things that one can go after and then identify 
internal bottlenecks operationally, but also in terms of the business that they're trying to conduct. If they're in insurance, how can you increase profitability? How can you increase members' health, which in return directly will affect the cost of the insurance company, for instance? Uh, How can you go about those? And you can prioritize uh, the difficulties and the uh, potential revenue that would come with a particular problem and go after them strategically. Very interesting. Very true. That's a really great approach. I can tell you that's not the approach I took in my time, unfortunately. Where it has um, not been the approach I, I have taken in my earlier ventures as well. Yeah, well, that's that's why the voice of experience and your views now are, are fantastic. I had come from, I did about 12 years of consulting before working in-house in financial services and and I started a team at, at a bank. It was about six years ago before my current job. And because I came from consulting, in the first six months that I was at the bank trying to build this data science team, I did lots of prototypes, lots of POCs for different business heads, different executives. And it was something like 50 prototypes in six months or something like that. And it was just yeah. throwing stuff out there to see what would stick. And then what happened was that nothing stuck. <laughs> like literally nothing really worked it didn't get the interest of the organization and i was getting increasingly frustrated and i didn't have that proper view that you I just can described. tell you why yes tell me so what we see over and over in this cultural transformation uh, processes unless you have leadership that shares the vision with you you cannot build that culture uh, bottom up it's never going to work So if you're coming in as a data science leader, but you don't have an ally or a person that already champions your ideas within the higher ups, I would tell you it will fail. So when people are, uh, you know, asking me what what should we do? I mean, we have a, a board or a leadership that doesn't believe in what we're doing. They're in this only because there's a hype and they don't know what to do with it. I say good luck. You really have to patiently either educate them and tell them, uh, you know, what will happen if they don't ride that AI surf appropriately. They will fail in the midterm and long term. So sometimes in those relationships, a little bit of scare tactics might work. And that is a justified approach, I think, uh, especially for people who have been in the business for 10 plus years, they have been sitting in their bubble, as well as people who have been in academia for many years, they have been in a bubble. So breaking that bubble, getting an understanding of the other side is critically important. And I think people in the business, they have to respect the fact that AI is uh, very much intertwined with things that are happening in academia. Typically, the... Um, view and perspective of academia and the business has been not the most positive one in the past. And AI is not a product that they can buy or implement like a Lego into their day-to-day business. It will fail and it has been failing. So either those business leaders get their act together if they want to survive this era of AI, or they will be obsolete tomorrow. I mean, that's as simple as that. And if they don't get their act together, like some of the executives, some of the higher the most prominent executives in the industry, they require all their leadership to be AI literate or data science literate. And what it means is they have to be sit down and code. I mean, that's the first step. So if you don't know how to code, it means that you don't know the alphabet of data science. And without that, you can memorize Shakespeare, but if you don't know the alphabet, you're not going to be able to come up with a new paragraph, right, in literature. You cannot claim to be a disruptor. You can be just trying to keep up with the AI wave and claim that you're 
producing something that gives interesting results. Any person that has a keen eye on what's happening in the data science world, it will take them five to 10 minutes to see beyond the smoke screen that companies have been creating. So true. Yes. And I've definitely worked in, in, in the past, I worked in organizations where they felt, I know that it's changing now, but at the time they felt like they couldn't buy innovation. And mm-hmm. they were, their mindset was just like, okay, how much money do we need to dish out? And we'll work with startups and we'll work with small to medium businesses and we'll partner with other big organizations and we'll yeah. start teams, multiple teams yeah. and just spend until the innovation shows up. I understand that business perspective. Let me tell you that. I mean, it's it's one thing that ex-academics can you really learn from business people. And there's so much that we can learn from them. But in return, they have to really respect the technical expertise and the whole package as it comes. It's not just another vertical. It's going to be the engine of the future companies. I can tell you, uh, this might be a little speculative, but all companies will become AI companies one way or the other. So if you want to be relevant for that era, the culture has to change. And you see that cultural transformation effort already in place in many Fortune 500 companies in the financial sector. Some domains uh, are doing better than the others. But that cultural transformation, I think, is a key in making sure that digital transformation reaches its potential. Very true. So interesting. And tell me, at the moment, what types of challenges and problems are you currently thinking about and grappling with? Um, some of them I cannot tell you. <laughs> of course. Uh, but, but I have been I have been very much involved in advising Fortune 500 companies and uh, also helping out startups to get their data science efforts off the ground, building an appropriate mm-hmm. team that is customized for their business objectives and timeline and operational bottlenecks. And I have been thinking a lot about the leadership profile that companies should hire. And um, there have been challenges in the past, and it's very unfortunate to see that many companies are still going after the wrong profile that are destined to fail in the midterm. And when those uh, quote-unquote leaders join their company and fail in the midterm, they will just leave their post and go to their next job with that experience, whereas the companies will have wasted their resource and time, and the AI wave uh, will be unreachable for them. So it's critically important for them to get the right profile in the leadership positions and they have to decide whether they have they want to ship the AI and data science operations under a CTO or whether they want to create a C level position for the analytics or data science operations even that decision by itself shows the commitment and vision of the board and the company so those things are critically important and uh, I must say you know that there's not much time left for those companies to catch up and ride that AI wave if they you know sit in their corners and you know try to come up with interesting strategies and are asking people who don't who are not domain experts to give them ideas about strategies if they don't cross check with different people coming from different domains it doesn't make sense to me and i don't know how it makes sense to them Yes, it's true. And we spent some time talking about the data science in large companies. How does the data science leader change when it's a startup? And are there differences when it's a startup in general versus an AI startup? What what are your thoughts there? 
Yeah, in the startup space, typically the hierarchies, the titles become somewhat blurry and irrelevant because you have very limited resources and you want everybody to chip in at their maximum. So you want to hire a person that can pull up the sleeves and get their hands dirty. Whereas, you know, if you are in a larger company setting, a person that has that expertise can roll up the sleeves and sit down and code with you definitely commands respect definitely can create the climate and cultural transformation for that company, but it is not always required in bigger companies. I mean, sometimes, especially if you're managing uh, 50, 60 or more people, it will become very difficult. I personally try to keep myself very up to date and keep my hands dirty. And I typically, I keep my scientist title in addition to my executive leadership title, which means I give a clear message to my team and the company that I am a scientist first and then a leader a second. And you mean, in my, in my opinion, my style, without having an intimate understanding of the processes, it will become somewhat uh, difficult to uh, be that leader that I'm trying to uh, be. So um, in larger company settings, four skill sets or areas that one can focus and their weights can be a little different as opposed to the skill sets that you require from a, a startup leader. Also, from a personality perspective, they can be very different. From my personality as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you want to have a, a very curious, dynamic person, all leadership positions, obviously. Yeah. But this is especially true for data science leadership. I mean, unless you are a person that is very up to date with literature, you are curious, you won't be able to survive or command the respect as a data science leader. You cannot be just a, an executive uh, sitting in their room, having eight hours a day of meetings and then go home and start the meetings all over. That That's not going to work in, in either setting. But especially in the startup setting, I like to have basically coding sessions with individual members one-on-one and go through their codes uh, line by line. And you know, I write my own code, obviously. But in a larger company setting, that might not be always possible practically. It's true. Really, really interesting. Really interesting. Another question about the field, uh, sort of in general, what is it about our field that excites you? Why do you love it? There's so much impact that data science can do and is doing. It takes just a little bit of careful looking into what can be done. And just looking at the influx of data as we move forward, the accumulation of data. And when I see companies that have access to that sort of data, I feel like a kid in a candy store. Just you require the right kid to go into that candy store and pick up the right candy. So we're moving in a direction where you know everything is being recorded. An enormous amount of data is being generated and companies require leaders to tap into the right talent pool and uh, prioritize accordingly to uh, make that short-term impact as well as building a strategy for the midterm and the long-term. So making that impact across the board, obviously being in astronomy for a very long time, making a discovery, looking for interesting signatures from star clusters, uh, hoping to find a new type of black hole is very, very exciting. It addresses some of the most fundamental questions about how the universe and the stars that are forming the uh, building blocks of galaxies and the universe is uh, very exciting to me. But looking at real-world problems such as how can we improve healthcare, which is a disaster in the U.S., how can we improve the health of individuals, how can we prevent certain diseases or slow them down, how can we discover new types of drugs with machine learning and deep learning? How can we 
increase the wealth of individuals? How can we manage wealth? How can we make regulations? How can we prevent cyber attacks and contribute to world peace? I mean, those are exciting things. Those are exciting things. That is great. And as data science tries to help on those challenges, and obviously with the impact that the field is going to have into the future, what do you see as a current set of challenges and the future set of challenges that we have in front of us in our space? Again, uh, this is kind of circling back to the cultural transformation aspect of this digital transformation era is I think successfully Making that cultural transformation happen is critically important, and it will be, I think, uh, very challenging, especially for uh, larger companies. Unless they change from top to bottom, again, it's never going to happen from bottom to top. It's going to happen from top to bottom unless they change the culture at the highest level, maybe hire a new CEO with that vision and implements that culture. I think uh, it's not going to happen. And with uh, smaller companies, I think the um, biggest challenge is to get their hands on the data. I mean, uh, if you're a startup, uh, you don't typically have access to the data that larger companies have, but they have one big advantage. There was a very recent Nature paper that also elaborates on this uh, with based on data, not only anecdotes, is if you want to innovate and disrupt, you work with smaller agile teams, whereas you know larger teams are more appropriate for development and deployment at a larger scale. Smaller companies are like surfers that have smaller boards. They have a high risk risk of falling down, but they have a higher agility and they require less of an energy to ride that AI wave. Uh, whereas with larger companies, I compare them to surface with larger boards, they are more stable, but there's more inertia that they have to overcome. But once they overcome that first inertia, that they can safely surf that AI wave. Whereas I think most of the companies right now, they are just behind the AI wave and try to catch up. And as many swimmers would know, if you are behind the wave, you have to spend maybe 10 times the effort to catch that wave. And once you catch that wave, it's good, but uh, you have to spend a lot of uh, resource in order to catch it if you're way behind. Very, very, very true. This has been absolutely great. But I, I only have one last question for you. That is a takeaway. What's something that you would like to leave the listeners with? Uh, to uh, inspiring data scientists, I will say keep curious. Uh, curiosity is your biggest asset and be an avid learner. And the second one is also valid for the leadership. I mean, unless you're open to learning, if you're an avid learner, you won't be able to survive against the incoming talent that's kind of uh, coming in into the data science world. So, so true. Well, and thank you so much for sharing your insights, your perspectives, your wisdom, your thoughts in our field. I think that you're definitely captured so much of what people need to be conscious of, what they need to be thinking about in establishing teams and being a leader in our space, and also what organizations need to be considering when looking at, at hiring and developing this much-needed skill that will transform the organizations to the future. Your perspectives have been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. That was wonderful. Thank you for inviting me, Felipe. And uh, just one caveat in what I've just said. The uh, field of uh, data science, AI, machine learning is 
changing and transforming itself on a day-to-day basis. What I say today might become irrelevant tomorrow. So this is why I'm saying everybody has to be avid learners and adapt and be very dynamic. This is where we are right now. And I think, uh, you know, the approaches that I just shared with you may be valid for the next year or two. I think it's always good to get multiple, very diverse perspectives from people that are both on the business side and the academic side. To both sides of the aisle, I would suggest to really pay the respect to the other side that they deserve. Yes. That is very necessary at the moment. Yes. Pay the respect to the other side from both ends. Oh, absolutely. That is a fantastic note to end on. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing all your interesting perspectives. Great talking to you, Felipe. Thank you. I wanted to tell you about the RMIT Online Masters of Data Science Strategy and Leadership. I was one of the industry advisors for this program. It's an online master's program and it covers both data science strategy and leadership and it has also a technical component. Highly, highly recommend it for people wanting to get ahead with the program. You can gain this advanced strategic leadership and data science capabilities required to influence executive leadership teams and deliver organization-wide solutions. For more information, visit online.rmit.edu. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as datafuturology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you liked this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.